Welcome to this, the 13th in a glorious series, Talking Terminal. Today, what it's like to be locked down in Israel when you first arrive, what it's like to take your mother-in-law to the ballet in central London when it's unexpectedly busy, a few comments from me about current diagnosis and treatment programmes just to uplift you, and to reassure you, no music from me today so you can sleep steady. Do enjoy and any comments don't hesitate to email. Thanks for listening. So I thought we might start with the son of Bev, who you heard during the last podcast. Bev's got three beautiful young men as sons and one glorious slightly older man as a husband. That's irrelevant for this podcast, but I thought I'd mention it. Elliot recently decanted to Israel for the second time in a year, where he is keen on both studying, learning Ivrit and living a a Jewish life in Israel. Of course, much to his mother's chagrin and pleasure, normal Jewish mother mixed feelings. So I wanted to find out from Elliot what it's like living in lockdown. So Elliot, are you in Jerusalem? I am, I'm in Jerusalem. Full of riots at the moment. So one, what's it like compared with Cambridge? You know, any observations? Because in a way, being in a room or being in a flat is being in a room, being in a flat. But I suspect there were differences and I just wondered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there are a few observations, I think, just uh, just simply from being in quarantine here versus there. A few really, really just simple observations, like um, there's a lot more wildlife here in Jerusalem, even though, I mean, we live in a pretty rural-ish part of Cambridge, which is really nice. You can really hear, like the birds are very vocal here, you know, there's, there's always chirpsing of birds and the weather's an obvious example of something that's different it's baking hot out here all the time never any rain just pure sunshine so that's good and i certainly know from being across the sea in jordan last year yeah you're absolutely right about the wildlife i mean the birds there's a sort of more vocal nature to them yeah really really they're they're, they're emboldened out here don't know what it is Are different species i mean One of the things I've discovered, which, you know, you are dealing with an idiot. I had not realised that many of the UK birds, because I know nothing about birds, but I hadn't realised that many of the UK birds that we sort of take for granted as being homegrown turn out to have flown thousands of miles to come to us. And they just use the summer as the the sort of place to be uh, in the UK. Are there any similar birds or are they all different or have you not got a clue? The honest answer is I have not got a clue, but I would I would hazard a guess that it's probably a similar thing here that there's um you know there's there's I guess part of a migration path. But I've always noticed that in in Jerusalem and Israel in particular, um, here here in the Middle East, I guess, yeah, the streets are always um, filled with bird song, so that's pretty cool. And then linked to that are the streets very busy in jerusalem or is everything you know a bit like everywhere except east london comparatively quiet i was actually really surprised that the streets are they're not teeming with people 
but they are fairly busy. A lot of people seem to still be going about their same daily routine. There's no doubt that it's it's a lot quieter than it than it would be usually this time of year. Sure. And last thing about being in some sort of isolation, were you allowed out to get food? That isn't the last thing. I've got something else I want to ask you. Okay, so so um, I wasn't allowed out to get food, actually. You really well and truly have to be inside for um, the duration of the 14 days. But thankfully, I've got some really good friends here. And like from the moment I arrived, I had a knock at the door with lots of home-cooked food. So that was really nice. And, and I do think that's um, a bit of a difference between Jerusalem and Cambridge is that whilst it was incredible to you know always have uh, home cooked food and be with my family something i've noticed out here is that there's a there is a, a really strong sense of community amongst people who perhaps don't even know each other but you know that there's a real sense of like shared responsibility so there's a lot of uh, initiatives at work here to kind of make sure everyone has let's say like a meal over shabbat or, or like in the days in general so yeah, definitely struck by that sense of like community here. And did the state ensure that you were in isolation or were they taking this on trust? The state did not. They didn't come knocking. What have you been doing? During, I mean, 14 days being literally in utter isolation, because as I understood it, there's nobody else been in the flat. It's just you. That's right. Yeah. What have you been doing? So one thing that I've got really, really good at is magnetic darts. I actually have a great left hand as well as a right hand. I created like a right hand versus left hand world championship. And I was really surprised to say that my left hand came out on top. You may be ambidextrous. I may well be. uh, Something I didn't know up until this point. So um, that's been a real eye opener for me. And what else have you been doing? Have you been communicating with people, teaching people, doing anything like that? I have, yeah. I've um, so I've been doing a lot of vocal coaching. I have a, a kind of very small vocal coaching business that I, I've set up, um, and um, it's really enjoyable. So I'm kind of working with a whole array of of individuals some are kind of professional vocalists, singers, musicians, and others uh, just looking to improve uh, and they might not be at that point in in the journey yet but that's been been really good fun it's always enjoyable teaching people how to kind of get the most out of their voice that's been keeping me busy Um, and then I've been learning more Hebrew brilliant thank you thank you and and the learning Hebrew coming on okay you call it hebrew i call it ivrit because i try and distinguish between old testament hebrew sure sure which, and and modern hebrew but oi i'm sure there's no difference no no I, I think um yeah you would say ivrit definitely but um i kind of use the word hebrew i think when i'm talking about it in the most broad sense and, and the other thing i'm really interested in since wednesday 12.01 a.m. You've been free to wander. So what have you? What did you do? I mean, did you do anything? And how did it feel? So 12.01, um, I put my running shoes on. I went on a um, fairly, what's the word? It wasn't the longest run 
in history. Uh, but it was really nice to be out on the streets. Um, I did actually stumble into, I guess, what was the end of a, a rally, an anti-BB rally. Um, and yeah, I kind of made sure to steer clear. But that was interesting to see. I think that's definitely indicative of the political atmosphere out here right now. It does feel fairly febrile from the readings I've had. And certainly today, there's been on the BBC quite a lot to do with the riot police uh, dispersing crowds in Jerusalem. And it is unusual. I'm not saying it never happens, but it is unusual for a Western country to have a prime minister who is in the middle of a criminal trial at the same time. That's very rare uh, indeed. Definitely. feels very divided at the moment. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just from a personal stance, I, of course, am very much against the proposed annexation of of the West Bank. And I just think a lot of of people here feel like it's a step away from peace. And so they're making themselves heard and and doing what they can to, you know, reverse those plans and make sure it doesn't come to fruition. So thanks so much, Elliot. Really good to talk to you. And I hope we talk again soon. I thought I might briefly just move on to let you know where I'm up to in terms of treatment. I've had the 12th in my three weekly cycles of chemotherapy with a three-month gap during the COVID period, all done by infusion, followed by 14 days of chemotherapy tablets. The infusions normally go pretty well and I've got into a routine where the infusions go into my forearm rather than my wrist and that seems to be quite effective. The side effects are noticeable, uh, not particularly pleasant, but easily manageable. I guess the key thing is whether the chemotherapy and infusions all part of the same program are continuing to have effect or whether the cancer cells have mutated and the infusions and treatment is no longer as effective. The way of testing this is via a CT scan at the hospital where I had the very first scan before my major surgery. So I'm off to get a scan next week and then have a discussion with the oncologist about whether the tumours and lesions in my lungs are contained, continuing to reduce or increasing. They're really the three choices. There is a fourth wild card, which is, has it gone elsewhere? I've got a probable secondary in my hip, which is well contained by immunotherapy, but there is a question about whether there can be further metastasizing elsewhere in the body. So the scan will involve hip, um, abdomen and chest, and we'll see what's what and know in about a week and a half's time. Always a period of some anxiety, but not by any means the end of a world. And each bridge will be crossed as we come to them. So that's where I'm up to, feeling pretty well while I'm making this podcast, expecting a few days down as my bloods drop uh, in the middle of the 14-day treatment period. But I hope to get another podcast up pretty quickly. So... Moving on from that glory to a further glory, which is my very, very good friend Joyce and taking her mother-in-law to the ballet in central London. So, Joyce, thanks for, I mean, genuinely, thanks for taking the time on an extremely hot Monday to 
sit indoors on a landline because I couldn't get the technology to work and tell a tale about your mother-in-law. Tell us the story. Okay, so as you know, my mother-in-law died earlier this year. She's 84, she's been an invalid for many years, and she had dementia for the last eight or so years. But before that, she was quite a formidable lady. Yeah, it's a very good phrase that we, we I only deal with formidable women and formidable ladies in my life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the story I'm going to tell you dates from around 10 years or so ago before she had dementia, but she was a, a wheelchair user. Yeah. So Tom and I, sometimes we take Julia up to London to see a show, usually theatre or ballet Um, and on this particular occasion we were taking her to the Coliseum to see Swan Lake and it was a Saturday matinee. The plan was Tom would take her to the venue, drop us off, go and park somewhere, do whatever he wanted to do in between and then pick us up afterwards and this had, we'd done this several times before without a hitch. However, on this occasion when we got to London, um, we couldn't, Tom couldn't go on his usual route. There were diversions, roads were blocked. We drove along the embankment and it was chock blocked with coaches. And then we began to notice that we saw quite a few people dressed in green. In green? Started, in green, yes. Of course. This was, this was the middle of March. So that gives you a clue, a clue that I didn't even think of. Yeah, it was the annual. A St. Patrick's Day parade and you know dimwit that I am I hadn't checked that so we couldn't get anywhere near the Coliseum so Tom said well look I'm just going to have to drop you off and, and you can make your own way it, it wasn't raining I was used to pushing the wheelchair there, there wasn't really a problem so yeah he dropped us at the at the bottom corner of St. James's Park and I think that road up there um, going sort of north is the horse Maybe horse guards. Horse guards, horse guards, yeah. Yeah, along along the side of, of the park. and Yeah, uh, lovely, lovely. Yeah, you can look over fine. the palace. And, so, yep. Yeah, yeah. So we started off and then almost immediately when we started to walk, crowds of people started to splurge out of St. James's Park and, and started to sort of amble in the direction we were going. I realised later they were going to Trafalgar Square. Oh, so they weren't heading to the ballet with you then? They weren't heading to the ballet, strangely enough, and they weren't in any hurry. So, And they turned around to the wheelchair and, you know, they were very polite. Oh, sorry. And they, you know, kind of saunter out of the way. But then, you know, a few seconds later, the same thing would happen. And we were, we were creeping along. When we got about halfway up the road, I looked at my watch and I said to Julia, you know, Julia, it's possible we may not get there in time, but, you know, not to worry because they'll let us in as soon as there's a pause in the performance. So she wasn't having this. Of course we can get there in time, she's <laughs> saying to me. She said, you can run, can't you? And I was I was like, what do you mean I can run? I'm, I'm wearing high heels, going up a slight slope and, and I'm pushing her wheelchair. <laughs> and she said something, words to the effect of, you're far too polite. If you speed up, they'll get out of the way. I thought, yes, and I might knock a few down as well, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> so 
as soon as I started to speed up, she started to bawl at the top of her most authoritative voice. Out of the way, out of the way, and gesticulate with her arms. <laughs> sounds like it sounds like theatre rather than the ballet, just exactly. before you get there. As soon as she said, I mean, I was amazed that people actually did just get out of the way. And some people would like look round in amazement at this at this elderly lady waving her arms and shouting out of the way. So yeah, we made great progress after that with her shouting out of the way and, you know, top of the mouth, side of Trafalgar Square. It was even worse than Trafalgar Square because that's where they were all gathered. And we got there to the Coliseum with about a minute to spare. She was cool as a cucumber. You were hot. I couldn't speak. I was sweating like a farmyard animal. I could hardly get, could hardly get the tickets out of my bag. Honestly, it was you know, and I'd built up a kind of momentum, but but it was still incredibly hard work. So uh, yeah, we got in there. The, the the person who was showing us to our seats kept giving me withering glances, as if to say, if you are accompanying somebody in a wheelchair, it's a good idea to leave a bit of time. So, yeah. That's the Colosseum for you. That's the Colosseum for you. Um, I think my my heart rate probably calmed down. Did Julia enjoy the ballet? Absolutely, yes. And, of course, Tom was there to meet us. All the St. Patrick's celebrants were... uh, disappeared and yeah we drove home perfectly brilliant story i love this authoritative voice i think it's great oh, yes. and i don't think i've ever heard of you describe yourself as like a farmyard animal before and i think it's the last <laughs> possible illusion i could imagine but it's a great story thank you <laughs> thank thank You're you so welcome. much that's lovely really good well that was fun wasn't it i really enjoyed that story from joyce Thanks for listening to this, the 13th in a glorious series, Talking Terminal. The next episode will be up next week and has a marvellous piece on diving in the Cornish seas, something I know absolutely nothing about. Hopefully another description of lockdown elsewhere in the world and a few comments on the current situation of politics in the United Kingdom. Any thoughts you've got, don't hesitate to email me, jeremy at talkingterminal.com or text me or ring me. Always happy to take a call. Meantime, have a great few days.